Welcome to another episode of the Deborah Health Report, where we dive into current health and medical topics to keep the Delaware Valley informed and updated. Last month, we spoke with Deborah Heart and Lung Center's Chair of Cardiology, Dr. Vincent Pompili, about the ways COVID-19 directly and indirectly injures the heart muscle, the long-term effects, vaccines, and other ways we can strengthen our defenses against even an endemic form of the novel coronavirus as we head into life in a post-pandemic new normal. This month, KYW's Rasa K talks with Dr. Andrew Martin, Chair of the Department of Pulmonary Medicine at Deborah, about the current understanding of COVID's impact on the lungs, who's most at risk and why, and how Deborah's new post-COVID recovery program is helping patients get closer to their pre-pandemic health. Here's Rasa Kay. I'm Rasa Kay, and I'm talking with Dr. Andrew Martin, Chair of the Department of Pulmonary Medicine at Deborah, and also the Medical Director of its new post-COVID recovery program. We're talking Talking about COVID's effect on the lungs specifically, and our latest understanding of what that is in the short and longer term. As always with COVID, there's a lot to unpack. Well, COVID is as a virus; uh, it binds to cells in the in the lungs and the rest of the respiratory system. It causes an inflammation, which is the, pretty much the definition of pneumonia, uh, of varying degrees, uh, and it can it can just be an irritating cough or go all the way to full-blown pneumonia and respiratory failure. So it has a, a range of effects. Is there anything that you've learned so far to indicate how far the process might, might proceed in a, in a given patient? Well, we do know the risk factors that you've been hearing about, uh, overweight, diabetes, underlying diseases such as kidney disease that predispose people to severe disease. So we know there are risk factors there that might predispose people to have a more severe inflammatory response or a more severe pneumonia. Now, COVID may be the most studied disease in the history of medicine. If we similarly studied other respiratory infections as we have COVID, uh, would we likely find similar complications or a similar process? What makes COVID such a, such a witch? Well, first of all, it's so dangerous because it's so infective. The fact that we can get it so easily from people who aren't sick makes it very, very hard to avoid it. It causes a very severe viral pneumonia. Now, other viruses can cause viral pneumonia. Uh, Influenza is the best known alternative. But I don't remember seeing this degree to this number. So it's, it's got the double whammy of having a a potential for very severe disease and the potential for people to walk around for a week to 10 days shedding the virus without being sick. That doesn't happen with influenza. That doesn't happen with measles uh, to that extent. It's much more easy to isolate people who may be shedding those viruses as opposed to this virus. Now, COVID can show itself very differently in in different patients. Someone in, in my extended family who has some under has basically some weakness in her lungs, uh, some severe asthma, got COVID. But it was, for her, primarily a gastrointestinal experience and a heinous one at that with a headache and all. And so she said, you know, it skipped my lungs. Boy, if it hit my lungs, COVID would have killed me. Does it really skip your lungs? Or, or do some people just not? They're just lucky? Oh, some people are just lucky. It can. And for the, the majority of people, it is not a severe disease. The risk factor of having underlying lung disease, as far as I can tell from the data I've been able to read, is more about where you started from. As I said, the risk factors for severe disease are almost more metabolic. Again, obesity, smoking, other underlying 
general diseases. But uh, I, I remember reading at least one research on asthma, a study on asthma, that suggested may, maybe asthma in and of itself was not a risk factor for severe disease. On the other hand, if you are starting out w- with a certain amount of lung damage, y- you know, you have less of a cushion, if you will. Uh, and, and so that losing some of that in the short or long term would have greater consequences. So for those people who are diagnosed with COVID-19 and then they recover, what are the short-term effects of COVID on the lungs? Well, first of all, there's going to be the short-term effects that you would expect given the severity of illness the patient had, regardless of the cause. If someone has a mild cold, um, and we have to remember also the coronaviruses have always been the cause of about 20% of colds. To cough for a month or two afterwards is not at all uncommon, even after the common cold. On the other hand, if you had gotten a severe viral or bacterial pneumonia and were on a ventilator for a couple of weeks uh, and had what they call adult respiratory distress syndrome or ARDS, perhaps even as a result of, uh, of another kind of infection like a urinary tract infection, you would expect at least short-term effects. There is the weakness that goes along with being severely ill. So a lot of those effects, short-term particularly, are going to be due or expected given the severity of illness the patient had. Um, the long-term question is, is, are we going to see sequelae of this disease that are specific to this virus as opposed to simply being what we would expect given the severity of disease? I think that's still an unanswered question and a lot of active research going on about that. The permanent lung damage question, the long-term lung damage of COVID. What is our understanding of that, even as you know, being a year and a half into COVID? Yeah, it, well, it's, it's hard to say. In my particular clinic, I, I don't know if I can say I've seen enough patients to have formed um, a, uh, an opinion as to whether, say, a mild COVID infection is going to lead down the line uh, to severe lung damage. I think, again, I think the majority... Uh, when all the data shakes out, the majority of predictors of, of permanent lung damage, I think, are going to lie in the severity of the acute illness rather than the virus in particular. That's, go- that's my gut feeling going forward. Okay, another footnote here when you say when all the data shakes out. And once again, we're studying, we're studying, we're studying, and it's preprints. Because how long does it take data to shake out? Years. Yeah. It takes years. Partly because you have to compare it to something. So you have to compare the population that are post-COVID. Really, you're not going to get a parallel population. You're going to get a historical baseline. In a lot of ways, it's, it's, it's very similar to the population that were around the World Trade Center after 9-11 when we were trying to look into what diseases may have been specific to that exposure. So it's going to take years. It will, it will definitely take a long time to see if there's anything specific to this particular virus. You also have the added complication that, uh, you know, coronaviruses in general like to change their spots. They've always been that way. These, these things you hear about variants and variation in the spikes, that's pretty much a characteristic of the viral, that, that family of viruses to begin with. So is a new variant going to come along with different specific potential complications? I think it's going to take a long time to figure that out. Well, and so we, and we're going to talk about the variants, but once again, it's the time question to even try to understand those variants and protect against them, the time. The time. Following people along for a year or two, doing serial 
observations and, and to see how they compare to historical or non-infected control populations. Uh, it takes a long time to, sh to, to get that data out. And, and those of us in the clinical sphere, and again, my, my clinic is a very clinical environment. I'm looking at each patient individually. You do get caught in the, just because you can describe something or detect it or measure it, it doesn't lead automatically always to being able to do something about it. And that's a source of frustration for patients and doctors. So once again, we get to this, what's short-term and what's long-term. So I guess if we defined short-term lung damage from COVID, it would be people who had had COVID and maybe had some lingering symptoms, mm -hmm. um, but they seem to be fine now. Mm -hmm. And then people who have had COVID and lingering symptoms of varying degrees of severity that don't seem to go away. I mean, is that kind of where we can define long-term versus short-term right now? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Can you make any prognosis? Are you seeing any signs in these patients with long-term symptoms that it is some kind of permanent lung damage they might have to deal with? Well, again, um, I'm seeing a lot of patients who were not terribly sick and who come in and actually seem to be doing rather well. I'm dealing with a, with a, with a complaint when they come to see a lung doctor. Usually it's you know, shortness of breath. The lung doctor is often the last stop on, on a long trail of doctors that, that try to explain shortness of breath. But the fact is, there's a lot of things that can cause shortness of breath, and a lot of them don't have anything to do with the lungs. So what I am seeing is patients who come in, and they feel, for the most part, I think the most common complaint is, my exercise tolerance is worse. The exercise I used to do without any trouble um, now causes me a lot of shortness of breath. I'm not able to do what I used to do. Now, this is in a background of most of us feel that way compared to a year and a half ago. We were locked up a whole year. We didn't get to the gym. We weren't exercising as much. We've gained, what is it, about 17 to 30 pounds. I've different, you know, we've all, we're all feeling more short of breath than we did in the fall of 2019. So you've got that background for people who weren't infected. And then you add to that, again, maybe a healthy 30-year-old who got COVID, who was still knocked down for a couple of weeks uh, on top of that. Now they come in two, three, four months later, um, and they're, in there, they're still comparing themselves to the fall of 2019. Uh, but it takes time. You know, you take an athlete and put them in bed for a month, they can't do half of what they did when they started. They have to retrain. Training is a physiologic process that takes longer as we get older. So you have to tease out all these, these different things, whether it's natural deconditioning or hay fever, seasonal allergies. Is that impacting? Right now, you're seeing a lot of news stories about that. Are these things I'm feeling COVID or are they allergies? And I think, you know, the obvious things, loss of smell, taste, fever, Severe systemic symptoms are not what normally people feel with allergy. But the other thing that COVID didn't cause a lot of is, is upper airway symptoms. It didn't cause a lot of cold symptoms. People didn't come in with a runny nose and itchy eyes and scratchy throat. If your allergy symptoms are typical and not accompanied by severe systemic symptoms, then they're probably allergies. But you're right. Then there's that question, what am I dealing with right now? The lung damage that you're seeing from COVID, is it reversible? I mean, how likely is a person with 
COVID-induced lung damage that, that you're reasonably sure is caused by COVID, how likely are they to recover and regain? I think actually a lot of them are very likely to regain normal lung function. Um, it's going to be like any other pneumonia. It may take a couple of months to clear up if you repeat CAT scans as far as the picture goes. Uh, but I think if people started out with normal lung function and didn't get very, very severe disease, then I think that they, most of them are going to return to normal lung function. But again, as that final stop as a pulmonologist, I have this kind of saying to patients, you know, I've got good news and I've got bad news. You know, the good news is your lungs are normal. You know, the bad news is I can't fix normal, right? So you, you do this analysis of why they might be short of breath and it may be simple deconditioning. We always have to be on the lookout for other things particularly this tendency to form blood clots. So if somebody has something that doesn't look right, traditional lung function tests measure mechanics. They measure airflow. They measure how stiff your lungs are. But uh, they can miss blood clots. So if somebody has a reason to look into that, sometimes we have to say, well, maybe you did have a blood clot. Could they have developed a post-infectious cardiac problem? Um, So, you know, we're going to do, depending on the symptom, Um, EKGs, perhaps an echocardiogram. And then we will come up with that finding where the heart workup is normal and the lung workup is normal. The patient's still short of breath with exertion particularly. That's conditioning for the most part. Other things can contribute to shortness of breath. Anemia. You're going to have that population. People are going to come in with the stuff they've always come in with. And occasionally you get a patient who's short of breath. My heart's fine. My lungs are fine. You find out they're anemic. That's a cause of shortness of breath. How often does your typical COVID patient need a CAT scan? And what does that look like? What is a COVID patient's, with lung involvement, mm-hmm. what, is, what do those lungs look like on a CAT scan? Well, typically on CAT scan, the, the, the classic COVID look is, is patches of pneumonia around both lungs with intervening areas that look relatively normal. Is that how pneumonia generally shows up? Pneumonias come in all forms. Bacterial pneumonia can be a dense consolidation. uh, On on X-ray or CT, we call it a density, confined to the anatomical part of a lobe. Uh, So it might be one area. Uh, A typical viral pneumonia or other types of pneumonia might be a generalized. uh, You may have heard of mycoplasma. Viral pneumonias in general tended to be bilateral with streaky findings on X-ray but symmetrical, but this one seems to have, it has patches of density here and there. So what does a CT scan, a CAT scan of a smoker's lungs look like? Oh, that can vary. Often normal. Often normal. We do a lot of CT lung screening for smokers now. Uh, Classically, only about 25% of smokers ever really get problems with their lungs. But other findings on particularly CAT scan might be findings related to emphysema, which is a form of destruction of lungs. It's an anatomical finding, if you will, all the way to uh, fibrosis, which is a not as common. Usually when we see fibrosis, we have to look for other causes. Uh, so if you wanted to find a typical lung-related finding, for, for emphys- it would be emphysema. But, but smokers' lungs uh, on CAT scan can be completely normal. So is COVID lung damage worse than smoking, or how, how does it compare? It's different. It's not the same. 
And with that medical cliffhanger, we'll invite you to join us for more with Dr. Andrew Martin. When the next podcast drops the first Wednesday of next month, we'll hear more about short and longer-term lung damage from COVID, how he tells the difference, and how he treats it at Deborah's new post-COVID recovery program. I'm Rasa Kay. You can always listen to all of the informative Deborah doctor interviews at DeborahHealthReport.com. Schedule an appointment at DemandDeborah.org.